The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Austin Powers edition. Today we're talking Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. My name is Michael Schatz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the happy man who gets to parody all of James Bond, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hi, happy Tom. You know what's remarkable? How much England looks in no way like Southern California. Just one of the many great jokes of this movie. Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. One of the, one, also one of the new jokes in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, which, that's... which always helps. Gives, yeah, gives the I joke mean... an advantage if it's in some way new. <laughs> Well, hang on. Let's. I, I, I want to talk about that. But first, yes. ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking about Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, a 1999 film directed by Jay Roach. And Jay Roach directs all of these movies. He does. If you do not know Jay Roach, you do know Jay Roach. <laughs> he directed Mystery Alaska, uh, the first two, I believe, Meet the Parents movies and The wow. Fockers, Dinner for Schmucks. The campaign, Trumbo, most recently Bombshell, Oscar nominated. He did Bombshell. Yeah. Wow. And he's done a couple of HBO movies. He did uh, the one. He did Recount. Yeah. And he also did. um... Starring he who shall not be named. (laughs) And he also did uh, what? What was the one about Sarah Palin? Uh, Game Change. Game Changer or Game Which Change. Is superb. Yeah. The book is sup- superb too. Yeah. And uh, this is a guy, I remember seeing a, a a clip of John Lithgow, who he worked with on Bombshell, mm-hmm. who said uh, he was talking to another actor and he looked up after Jay Roach gave him some note and he's like, that guy never gives me a bad note. Hmm. Ever. So Jay Roach is a capable person. I have to say though, the spy the spy who shagged me and to some extent Goldmember play like movies from directors who never gives bad notes. <laughs> <laughs> Think there are one or t- once or twice he could say, you know, Mike, it's not working. I don't think that's what John Lath- Lithgow meant. I don't think he meant I know. I'm twisting John Lithgow <laughs> Lithgow's words again. <laughs> you leave him alone. Yeah, just a, sh- a well, shout out. Shout out to to former guest Pete the Retailer, whose description of John Lithgow doing Yoda as an old Jewish Grover. Perfect. I think about that every day. <laughs> well, as previously discussed in our ranking episode, Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me, fifty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie had a budget of $33 million, an opening weekend of 17.9, made $206 million in the USA. I was there opening weekend. What's that? I was there opening weekend in New York. Yeah, me too. In the world, $312 million. Uh, This movie is a smash hit. I was there too when I got back to Britain. (laughs) There you go. Um... You had reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about. Now I've forgotten. What? What? what, what New did jokes you say? and the lack thereof. Oh, so oh yeah, I wanted <laughs> to ask you because all of these movies are repeating jokes over and over again. Of course, yes, and that's part of the shtick. And it's part of the shtick, though, right? So, yeah. how much does that bother you? Um, it bothers me more in this movie because I think uh, that. It's diminishing returns in this particular context. Um, 
I feel like this. I feel like that at this point in the series, they're massaging the jokes. They're not um, reforming them, and and we know this is possible when we talked about Naked Gun. I was gonna say because we talked about this in Naked Gun. They were able to reformulate the same joke in a way that, even though you knew it wasn't new, it became funny all over again. And I don't, for the most part, in this particular movie, I don't think they re-articulate the joke in ways that that help. I think it just and it just weakens the the comedy, the quality of the comedy. All right. Overall, that's an old. That's uh, there's certainly case by case. It's a different story, but I would say overall that that is how I feel about it. What are we talking about? Are we talking about the credits covering his privates? That was that was my first. That that was my first note of this tendency for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that because it's like a basically they were they were. They were rearticulating. They were taking two gags from the original movie mm-hmm. um, and Melons. stitching and stitching them together. And the effect of that is less than the impact of each of those original jokes. So that's when I started to notice um, that it was. Uh, I'd something in general I'll say something about the flow of comedy in this movie seems off to me. I think that's my biggest problem with it. There's like a clump of the same kinds of gags. Interesting. And other instances where the same the same gags, the actual same literal gags are too close together. Like where it's like too close to be a callback. It's just you haven't thought about you mean too close as in to the original movie or No, I mean too close itself? to each other in this gotcha. movie. Gotcha. Okay. Two two dick spaceship montages in in the same half of the movie is not it's not good flow. Alright. Um I do have that note. I do have a note to say why are we repeating the but it was mercifully short the second time around. Yeah, well, and and you know that I think that the next movie makes more of of the of the, that the in joke, general of the joke becomes about the repetition of the joke. Yeah, here I feel they're doing that unironically, like they just miss the fact that those two jokes are close, too close together in the right. time of the movie. But you know, not to say I wasn't relieved <laughs> to see Clint Howard. <laughs> As always. Yeah. In He's... a non-Ron Howard film. <laughs> it's he a can, non-Ron. He, yeah, he can, he can he doesn't earn get many his way into a movie. I would argue he earns his way into any movie, including movies of his brother, but... Well, the, the other... I mean, this isn't, this isn't you know, talking Clint, but um, <laughs> I do want <wanna, laughs> to say that I think for Mike Myers, he isn't just Ron Howard's brother. He's also the baby alien from Star Trek, the original series. There you go. <laughs> Knowing Mike Myers and his love of 60s pop culture, I think, he, I think Clint Howard has a different significance from that guy who's always in Ron Howard's movies. Right. Do you like seeing the Star Wars scroll parody? It was Keeping a little in mind, wor- this came out in 1999. <laughs> that is true. See, you you're like my you're like my control experiment for every <laughs> doubt I have about this movie. That's a cuz that's a contemporaneous reference when seen yeah. in that light. I was a little worried that the other precedent for a comedy spoof sequel that opens this way is Star- Airplane 2. <laughs> that was my biggest worry. Thought this is not a this you know like that is not a good accidental reference to make. Um, I can't imagine that there's no way no no no. I, I just mean that you know as a, as a sort of like we're in trouble not, here. But red yeah. flag. It was a red flag for me, and in general, I didn't get much out of the 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 Star Wars parody here. I felt like it was it. Maybe maybe because the Phantom Menace was coming out. Um 
was in the same year that that it this had movie a great, even uh, references that movie in its in its commercials. This movie would this movie's uh, previews. I don't remember if it was theatrical previews or if it was television commercials, but this movie yeah. would say, "If you see one movie this summer, see the Phantom Menace. But if you see two movies this summer." See, that's a better joke. That That's better than any of the Star Wars-based jokes in the movie. True. Because, I, I mean, I noted at one point... Again, it's like... But my big thing that I liked about the Star Wars crawl that I thought made it better was that the, the actual Star Wars crawl in The Phantom Menace is filled with such nonsense... Yes, yes. ...that I, I appreciated... Like only two paragraphs instead of three, and <laughs> and the fact that it's actually summing up what we need to know. But that's that's the thing you feel like if this movie had been made a year after Phantom Menace, the joke would have been the scroll goes on too long and you can't understand anything that's in it. Right. Um, but instead, what we get is referring back to the original trilogy in a not very interesting way, and in a way that Toy Story two had already done. And done better. Okay. Like the same... It's interesting you have two... The exact same Star Wars parody gag in Toy Story 2 and this movie. Mm-hmm. Amazing. It's amazing how sequel sequels reference each other as much as they do the, their original right, movies. Right, exactly. Sometimes. Especially here. Well, then we have, you know, Dr. Evil's egg coming out of Bob Big Boy's ass. Mm-hmm. And then we're getting into opening montage, opening song credits. But this is all after finding out that Vanessa is a fembot. Yeah. And And I really appreciate that this movie (laughs) removes the last woman, whereas Goldmember doesn't. Like, it's just never referenced. Yeah, this is this definitely. Well, I'm not not in those comparative terms, but I definitely I this is definitely a high point for me of the movie, uh, especially, you know, as a. As a Bond aficionado, as someone who you know right. has made has made Bond parody a big part of their performance career, mm-hmm. um, you have to like that. I Come love on. that. I love it because it, it's it's and the, there's it's nothing better. Literally, than... the the last thing you expect, right? <laughs> in a Bond parody, is that the the Bond girl makes it to the next movie, right? And the fact that then she is revealed to be a robot. Who is then killed off, so Austin Powers can can reset and go back to being single again. And I love the fact that it might even, you know, you were on my show, the the James Bond Book Club recently, yeah. and, and I love the fact that, uh, that you know, the level of Bond fan knowledge Mike Myers has is he knows this doesn't happen in the in the films, but it's exactly what happens in the books. Like in the beginning of every new James Bond book, he sort of waits. He's you know the the bongo from the last one's living <laughs> at his apartment um so i just and it, and and the fact that it retcons the original movie in a very intentional way oh there's nothing better than michael york saying yes we knew all along <laughs> <laughs> i also love that you know it reminded me of another movie that we that we have and will do again uh halloween 3 and i wonder oh, yeah. I wonder if just growing up with the name Mike Myers means that you've probably <laughs> seen all the Halloween movies quite a lot. Oh yeah. Um and that uh there's just a what what there is and this is true for both of these both of these movies is is this film literacy that he's able to throw mm-hmm. out to like and it's a and it's a bad sequel in this case it's a bad sequel literacy. Yeah, and and much later on in the movie, we'll have the line. This time, it's personal, which, as we both know, comes from Jaws: The Jaws Revenge, too. or the Revenge. And I was just, uh, you know, it's like this guy, Mike Myers, and you know the people working around him have such a rich, deep knowledge of film history that they can pull that everything they do is invested with that, and it elev- it immediately elevates it above. Um, you know, what it could be, which is just kind of shallow pastiche to me. And that's always the big strength of these movies, of, of the, these movies and most of what Mike Myers does in yeah. his film and, and sketch career as well. 
Well, we were kind of referencing the pop culture hits and misses in these movies. Narratively in the movie, now we go to Dr. Evil and he's got his evil lair in the Space Needle, which is a Starbucks. Right. And that still works for me. I was going to say, it hit a lot harder. I remember... I remember the reaction to seeing that Starbucks logo in late 1990s America. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it's like the, the cocaine scene from Annie Hall. It's like the next two minutes of gags right. don't exist because everyone's still laughing. Yeah. But sadly, that corporate megalomaniacal evil <laughs> right. is still with us and just as easy to understand. Yes. You know, you switch Starbucks for Amazon, same thing. Absolutely. You know? um, and that's an example where it's like, in some senses, the joke is, you can just keep updating the joke. And they do in the next movie, because they, they're like, a Hollywood talent agency is his shell company. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just the idea of, you relate these you relate the uh, the kind of spectre-like organization to whatever is the corporate evil of the time. It kind of yeah, means that right. the, bone, the bones of the joke is good. Absolutely. I think, yeah. And then we're going to be introduced to Mini-Me. And so let's talk about that, but also let's talk about... Because I've, I've listed this as my favorite sequel in the series. Yes. You have the next movie as your favorite sequel. Yes. And we've kind of talked about in our ranking episodes, you know, why this is, what do we appreciate. And I think one of the things I really like about this movie is how Dr. Evil focused it is. And he's my favorite character. So I think that's why I gravitate towards this sequel. Your favorite character in the series or in this movie? Oh, interesting. In the series. Yeah, I I, can I, never I, I agree with that. I I agree totally. <laughs> I agree totally with that. Um, with the, my favorite in the series too, and I mean, just the idea of <laughs> Lauren Michaels. A, a, well, exactly. I was gonna say <laughs> a composite of all the Blofeld, all the classic Blofelds. Yeah, visually, with the voice of Lauren Michaels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is like, an extraordinary comic even when idea. You say it out loud. You're like, that's a great fucking joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it is, and uh, you know, I already quoted in the minisode quoted the line. You know, that's how we do it in Belgium, and you know, this this uh, we call it a Belgian dip. This this sinister, you know, this kind of sinister geographical backstory has. Which again, what's wonderful about that is that the, the, the it's where the the difference between this and an actual Bond film is negligible because, uh, you know, it's it's almost quoting lines that Bond villains have, you know. Sure. You could go to Doctor No and he says so, you know, it's like the triads took my hands and it it just go it just goes like that and the and the and the books are the same and I think when when you know. One of the interesting things about Mini Me is this sort of dovetailing of the the ableism of the Bond movies and books, a parody of that with what we've talked about before, which is just this this kind of postmodern late nineties, early two thousands ignorance of political correctness. Right, like getting too comfortable with with bad taste comedy because you're being ironic about it. And that sort of dovetails in a way that certainly watching it now, I I can't really take, I can't enjoy on, on pretty much any level. It just seems like abusing the powerless. (laughs) All right. Whenever mini me appears. But I get the I get the origin I get why in that cultural context it felt okay and I get why in the paro- the parodic context of the movie of the sort of ableism of Bond movies it feels okay mm-hmm. but it's not okay <laughs> and that's something that <laughs> you know we've I-, I felt uncomfortable with it in 1999 and I actually 
had to shield my eyes a few times. Um, here. <laughs> In some, some mini-me scenes. I am conflicted, yeah. I, I just... Um... But I also like kind of latch on to his performance, which I really like. He's trying his damnedest, and uh, yeah. in a way that makes it worse for me. Really? Well, because at least in this movie, he doesn't even reach the level of physical comedy. It's just torture. Yeah, but the next movie is, I mean, the number of times he gets kicked in the next movie, and uh. hitting lead, you know, metal pipes... Also, and uh, you know, this reminded me of another former guest of ours, Matt Matt Aldrich, when he was talking about um, Airplane Two, and he said, he said that the big problem with the comedy is that there's no consistent through line of what the joke is. Mm-hmm. And I feel that with Mini Me in this movie, it's like, is he a baby? Is he a dog? Is he a clone? They try it all out. All right. of it leaves a nasty taste in the mouth, and none of it makes coherent internal sense. All right. Yeah. And the baby, the baby shtick is particularly hard for me to take because Mike Myers is a Hollywood star with a lot of power. Vern Troyer is a is a disabled man who is being forced to act like a baby, right? Under Mike Myers' instruction, both on screen and off screen, and I just can't. My brain, I just it makes me want to be sick <laughs> <laughs> when I think about what's going on on screen and off screen. It just makes me want to be sick. All right. I can't disagree. On that happy note, let's take a break. <laughs> and then we'll come back and we'll discuss more about this. This is the thing that's still me. with us in culture. This term yeah, is still with us. You should it is. you should all know the origins of the term mini me. <laughs> right. It's like Confederate statues. Just go back and look. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are are here discussing Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, a 1999 film directed by Jay Roach. Tom, when last we left, we were talking about the advocacy of Vern Troyer. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me, because I, I did remember that he died of suicide, I believe, by alcohol poisoning. Yeah. And so... I don't know. Does that does that kind of? I don't know. I guess I don't. I don't know enough about the circumstances to know right. what fame did to him. Or it's very common among his community for that to be the end of. But as your I understand career. it, he wasn't supposed to also live past his teens, and I think he was forty nine when he died. Yeah, I mean, even without that context, I. Like I said, I felt uncomfortable in 1999 and and actually found it kind of abhorrent. Um, which, you know, is... But partly what... I mean, partly what I object to is that I think... 
I think they put so much dud comedy around him compared to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I like it a little better in Goldmember because aside from when he's comparing his penis with Michael Caine, which does not need to be a scene in any movie. Right. Um, I feel like they're actually sort of trying to elevate him to a sort of Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin level of physical comedy, whereas here the the joke is is just always about how many times can we kick the baby? Kick, kick the baby, call him a baby, get the baby in my belly. Yeah. Um, Baby's the other white mate. So... But I think it brings up an interesting point about these kind of broad comedies. Yeah. Like, obviously, you're drawing a line in the sand of where you think these comedies should live. And I suppose that's true. What I find interesting is that. Like, you couldn't get a consensus I don't even think in any single minority group about what should, what is okay and what isn't okay. Yeah. And so where does that leave a comedian like Mike Myers? Like we might have to come back to this series because I, 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 I've heard they're going to do another Austin Powers. Yeah. And I'm most fascinated to see. I'm not. What would he do now? After all of this coming to light. Well, that's our job, is it not? Yeah, but I, I, I just, I'm <laughs> curious. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm curious, just, just to sort of, you know, belay the sadness for a few seconds. Okay. Um, I'm more interested in finding out uh what what he'd do now in the post Daniel Craig era of Bond movies, mm-hmm. because this is so located in the sixties and seventies period of Bond beautifully. Yes, the peak period, parodies and all, is 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 in there. That the most colorful camp period of James Bond. Um, so I'll be interested what he what he's doing. You know now that that the. the the Bond movies are kind of born ultimatum clones, right? Like where he's where, where he's going to land with that. Um, but it, it's interesting, even even how I register some of the discomfort with what he's doing with ableism and sizeism with Fat Bastard and Mini Me. I get a sense of the slight discomfort and need to change that between this and the next movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, these are the Jar Jars <laughs> of the spy who shagged me, and it's it's about finding a way to work with them or shuffling them out of the deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to a large extent, that's his response to, you know, one way, is, you know, like the same way George Lucas is like, well, we'll... We'll gradually phase Jar Jar out of the movie and we'll have him start a war. <laughs> right. It's similar here where it's like, well, we'll have much, you know, we'll have, we'll have literally no fat bastard and he won't be fat. And we'll give Vern Troyer something more interesting comically to do. So I, I feel a sense of almost like, almost even Mike Myers is getting the sense. It's really weird. I mean, I love Mike Myers in, in so many ways, but... In a way, I feel like the spy who shagged me is just like the the peak of his vanity as a performer. In a really uncomfortable way, okay. like the number of instances where he's he's playing two people in a scene and he's coming on to himself. Yeah, seems like doesn't seem like an accident. But I, given I see how that, successful his career has been up to this point, movie. and how because in the next movie hmm? he's playing four major characters. Right, but he's, he's not always doing one more ogling himself. <laughs> okay, but taking pictures of himself naked. It, I, I, it's, it's, it's both. Yeah, I mean, that that compromises this movie and the other movie. I agree, but for some reason, the execution of it here feels more like, you know, stardom is really going to this guy's head. <laughs> all right, all right. 
And at least in Goldmember, he's letting other people play his role. Do you like the Jerry Springer sometimes. scenes? I do. I love those scenes. I think they're great. And uh, I think and even though even Jerry though... Springer isn't like what he was then, like yeah. it still hits the mark for me in parody. The idea of an evil, like a doctor, a, 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 a man with an evil doctorate coming onto yes. his show, confronting his son, and then attacking Jerry Springer. And I think part of what makes it work is Jerry Springer is so great as himself. He's a great performer, I think. That's what, to me, that, that I mean, that whole section of the movie works because it, it, it gets called back in the credits. Yeah. That everything that works. Jerry's final perfectly. thoughts. I mean, come on, that's yeah. great. Yeah, that's a great idea to. And I wish they would have just ended. Actually, ended the post-credits scene there. Uh-huh. That would have been a high to end the movie on. But instead, we have a scene of Mike Myers ogling himself again <laughs> before the end of the movie. Um, I think when bec- those things really work for me, because at the very least what distinguishes a lot of Mike Myers spoof comedy from other others in the field, lesser agents in the field, like scary movie or whatever that they always, at the very least are determined to get a reasonable audio visual facsimile of the thing they're spoofing. Yeah. So when they do the Jerry Springer show, it's, it's the Jerry, the Jerry Springer, Springer show. show, right? It's not, it's not an off brand version of the Jerry Springer. show. it's, Jerry's there. It's the studio. Yeah. It's the camera. The same quality of a video. Everything, and that's when these movie. And I think it's true as well of the you know the Star Wars opening. You're like, well, that looks like Star Wars. You know, right? They're using the same shots that George Lucas is using in Star Wars. They're not just thinking about it in oh, you know, the Airplane Two style of let's just get the general feeling of mm-hmm. it. They're actually doing high-level pastiche and, you know, a mantle that's been inherited by Family Guy, I think. Yeah. Um, Of, like, it's not enough to just spoof the thing. It has to look exactly like the real thing. Sure. And in a sense, you know, I know know Matt, when Matt was on the show, he said money is the enemy of comedy. But I actually think... In the Austin Powers series, it's not because part of their goal is to look as good as the thing that they're spoofing. Um, and it works in this particular in, in this particular very specific intru- context. Instance, sure. You know, I I like I like the moments when the difference between a an actual Bond film and the Austin Powers and an Austin Powers film is kind of blurred. <laughs> right. Like I get a lot of satisfaction from it because I think that's part of their project here. I think that's where Mike Myers is sort of going over and above other parodists in the field. All right. Where to go next? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so uh, I mean you meant I what you want you say you mentioned Michael York and it, it it literally goes without saying how wonderful he is as Basil Exposition. How wonderful a comic idea Basil Exposition I was just going to say, just the idea we of use that it character for name, we, we, we constantly refer to it. <laughs> um, so just that, the given that the fact that his name that... is Basil Exposition. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, you know, his performance is pitch perfect. And did, uh, did you know that uh, when he turns to camera during the time machine sequence and he says to Austin don't you know don't um they're talking about like time travel paradoxes yeah right and he says to like Austin you know don't worry about that and he looks at the camera and says and neither, and neither should, you. should you yeah he improved that did he i did that know i mean that. that just my you know i always had the faint suspicion that that he was that, a comic um, genius that he was a kind. Of, can you ima- can you imagine like not only improving a line as good as that, but but actually breaking the fourth wall of the movie to, to do, do it, it right. in in an improv? That's amazing. <laughs> that takes some, but it also shows me he knows exactly what movie he's in yeah. and what the tone of the comedy like when it's working at its best is entirely self reflexive and no one is apologizing for how 
uh, insane the plot is at any point. He's like a he's like a human plot hole. I love it. I love the yeah. Idea. The idea is amazing. <laughs> they just they sort of like they he he just they stick all the elements of bad writing in the movie on this one character. Yeah, and it's such a brilliant device. Well, and for me, one of the things I like is the time travel in this movie. And in the next movie, it seems a little muddled and out of place. Yeah, no, I think that I think I think the time, the time machine is a is is a great sequel inversion. Yeah. It's also like, actually, the one thing that even the Bond movies have refused to to go to, to go to. They go to outer <laughs> space, that... but no time travel yeah. yet. Exactly. And the fact that it's represented in a spiral that recalls the uh, 1960s TV series, The Time Tunnel, right. is just the icing on the cake for me. I love everything about it. I love it. everything about it. Not only that, but he tries to run into it. <laughs> it's not on yet. <laughs> and it's one dimension. God. And then you've got perspective gags, which, in my opinion, perspective gags are the elite of comedy. And there are enough of those kinds of jokes built up in this movie like that's why i call it a good movie <laughs> like just for that alone i see i see what you're talking about i i think in a sense and i talked about this in the minisodes it's like how much do the how much do the fail the failed jokes matter mm-hmm. and i think for every one of these jokes that really work that we've been talking about there are there's like a handful of physical fringe gags sure that that knock the movie down and every time you take away two points instead of one because <laughs> those jokes are taking up valuable real estate. Oh, uh, see, I'm you more know, like mini, mini me honking a horn. See, but I, is... I, I love Dr. Evil and mini me on their little. Con- no, I don't. I, I, I think, like a circus I think that show, I think there's moments in this movie where they don't know what to do and they do like, to call it physical comedy is, is is giving it too much credit. It is like, I don't know. It's like physical comedy Tourette's. It's like <laughs> they've just not thought through the gag. And then there are other moments where the physical comedy is just beyond brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 fat bastard stool stamp sample coffee room gag, like such a such a simple piece of comedy. Which, you know, Mike Myers as a as a film and film student and a film comedy nut is like he he nutty professes it mm-hmm. original nutty not Eddie Murphy right, right, nutty right, professor right. like Jerry, Jerry Lewis, Lewis nutty professor like it's not enough that he, you know we do this joke where he drinks shit instead of coffee but we at the beginning of it you see him it, they take the time for him to set up yeah. The apparatus of the joke, just like Jerry Lewis does in the Nutty Professor in his lab, right? And I, at that point, I'm like, that you know, that joke has turned itself into something above itself, and there's just too many gags in this movie where it's well, and it's funny you mentioned that. You can that. see that they've not. You can see that they've not thought through it with that that kind of clarity. The, the jokes that you can see the jokes that they've thought through, and then the ones that, um. The ones that they haven't. Also, I think Mike Myers is relying too much on the sort of the, the Conan O'Brien. Let's make fun of the fact that the joke doesn't work. Okay. Routine, which like one or two of those is fine, but he does a lot of those in this movie. That's like but self, I, th- I feel self like that's kind of a the part of the character throughout all three of these movies. It is, but he, he it's kind of concentrated in this movie in a way that suggests to me, like, you know, there's literally nothing else you can do with this terrible punchline. Mm-hmm. Well, now, um, let me ask you this, because I think, I think the one reason that this movie doesn't creep up to the 60% for mainstream critics, but I think their biggest complaint was there was too much of a reliance on the gross-out comedy, including the drinking of shit. But most of this has to do with Fat Bastard, yeah, and his being naked. So where's that sit for you? I mean, I, it's interesting because I remember 
even in 1999, watching this in, in Times Square in New York, amongst people who I assume were fans, mm-hmm. as I was, when Fat Bastard came on screen, it was like a tumbleweed. Really? Okay. I had the opposite no experience. Was, no one was laughing. No one knew what they what they were supposed to laugh at, more crucially. I was in theaters that... I was in a theater that loved Fat Bastard. Interesting. That thought Fat Bastard was like the funniest fucking thing they'd ever seen. It's... It's weird because it's like... It's it's the kind and of... Ki- what's interesting to me is like Fat Bastard is probably my least... Like I find him the least interesting character... But I think it's funny that all this, you know, comedy is comedy. Hey, is made out of his being like, you know, Mike Myers would get a a lot of shit for Fat Bastard and even having his name be Fat Bastard. And he would always come back with, well, he's a man who weighs a metric ton and doesn't know who his mother is. Or who his parents Mm. are. And that was the reasoning behind Fat Bastard. But the like the part that gets me is at the end when he has this heartfelt speech that is actually delivered like like in a I don't mean to be pejorative because I don't at all. It's like an after school special, but like the one moment in an after school special that's good. Yeah. When he's saying I I eat because I'm hungry and I'm, or because think you're on safe ground. Yeah, like. it's like <laughs> we've referred to Superman four as like an attitude special in a not complimentary way. We're we're okay. <laughs> but it's such a heartfelt I, moment. Like that gets to me. But it seems uh, I, almost too honest for this movie. <laughs> What you're saying is really perceptive and and not wrong. I think, to me, Fat Bastard is the even more than Mini Me is the kind of the locus, um, of, of where this movie like sometimes the comedy just feels off. Mm-hmm. Like all the elements are definitely there. Because well, he's like like he's saying you've... I eat because I hate myself and I help hate myself because I eat. Right. And like that's yeah. that's somebody's reality. That's many people's reality. Right. And so to have it be that Jared's, honest for instance is like oh fuck. Yeah, and it's it's like a it's a it's deliberate and you know it, it's acknowledgement that that this is a one-dimensional character and you know playing the comedy of suddenly making him multi-dimensional. Right. But so I and I get all that. I also get the fact that you know he's done this Scottish dialect comedy successfully in other contexts, and right. at least with two other movies. Shrek and so yeah. I married an axe murderer, particularly so I married an axe murderer. So it's not that I get. I don't think it just something's not quite jibing there. It's just a big for me. It's just a big misstep. And in, and you know, looking at it now in 2021, you'd say that you you've invested too much in the sizeism element of it. Yeah. For it to stay funny. Beyond the immediate first appearance of mm-hmm. um of uh, of Fat Bastard and the first time that you, they say his name, um, it's also interesting that like there's a series of of satellite gags before and after Fat Bastard comes on that lowers the tone as if they know that <laughs> right. the tone needs to dip before he comes yeah. on like we need a buffer <laughs> um, also I think I, I the big problem I don't know if they solved this in the th- I can't remember whether they solved this in the, th- in, the, in the next movie or not but because it's not like Eddie Murphy nutty professor you're all on screen at the same time there's a delay, like it affects the timing of the jokes because you have to cut from Mike Myers to, Mike to Myers. the other Mike yeah. Myers. Like doing it in a shot reverse shot, like that split second of comic timing really makes a difference. And you really feel that the scene is dragging because we have to keep cutting back and forth. That's interesting. Um, I don't think I felt that as much as you did, but I... 
But I, I, I don't know that you're wrong either. Well, let's yeah, let's it's... do this. Let's we're, let's end on a second happy note, and and we'll, <laughs> we'll take a second break, and then we'll come back and finish up with Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. What you're saying is www.shush.com.org. Yeah, yeah, right. Is what you're saying. <laughs> Zip it. We'll be right Which back. Which is a, a yeah. All right. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the Jay Roach film, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, the second in the series. I feel like we barely even scratched the surface of what happens in this fucking movie, Tom. So, it's, 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 well, yeah. let me ask you this. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's a coincidence. I know we're we're often scattershot, but I think that that may be the movie's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it even worth talking about about uh, Heather Graham? I was just going to ask you, like, how woefully she's underused. What here? do you think of Heather Graham? One placeholder. And and that's a shame because because she's you a love great actress. Beyonce. Well, I I mean I love Beyonce, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. No, um, just I mean, there's nothing. You know, Elizabeth Elizabeth Hurley's character had a point. Yeah, Beyonce's character has a has a point, or at least a a shtick. I don't, I don't know, know what if there's Heather a point Graham's... for Beyonce's character. Yeah, of course she's a black exploitation heroine. Well, I uh, thought you. I see, thought I can, you meant. I, I, I thought you meant in relation can... to Austin. Like, you know, Vanessa has to teach him. You're in the '90s now, so like he learns a lesson about yeah, personal responsibility. That's how it, you know his character has an arc in that movie. Yeah. and you're right that okay. there's like no arc for real for Austin in this movie. No, just like your penis doesn't work. Oh, it works. <laughs> which almost as if if they'd have if they'd have talked about it in those terms and how that is a you know that's a shameful arc for any character in a movie i would have been fine with it but i get the sense that they're they think that this is the dramatic through line of the movie i think they kind of and forgot about what... austin in this movie but yes true well that's uh that's equally true yeah but but I'm okay with it because they're replacing it with so much Dr. Evil. And I fucking love Dr. Evil. And his arc with his son, with Mini-Me, with what's being set up. I love going back in time and having sex and having it get weird. <laughs> All of that is fucking funny. You mean Austin going back and having sex? No, like in the when Dr. Evil goes back... And, uh, oh, what's the, Mindy Sterling, struggling to remember Mindy Sterling's character, the, the Frau Farbisena. 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 They have sex. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know. It didn't because it's, don't worry, mama. Things won't get weird. And then they're having that terribly awkward conversation and just the line of like you know i can't mm. let my feelings for you interfere with my evil plans for the world like that's all great to me 
I just I I felt like it was just all treading. That was all just treading water. Like I didn't feel like it was integrated in that. The way you the way you're depicting it is is compelling. That that that's the dramatic through line, but the way it appears to to me as an audience member is that it's it's just sketch after sketch after sketch. And well, there's a lot of that in all of these time. movies, but I prefer, like, I, I, I there agree, are musical but, uh, but interludes, I... you know? Dr. Evil has a song parody in both these sequels. I prefer this one to the third one. I'm completely the opposite. I, f- I, feel, like, I feel like it's overkill in this one where it actually belongs in the next movie, where there's, there's numerous examples where I think there are things in this movie we should have waited to do in the next movie. And the f- and and it compromises both. Like, what do you mean? Like, there we... should have been no song parody in this one, and then have it in the third one? Well, we get we get like a- them, Minnie Me and Doctor Evil singing Amy Grant, and then minutes later they're doing just the two of us. Again, the flow not good. Okay. To have those two close together, and then you do it again in the next movie where it kind of, I guess you know, doing the 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 hard not life in the prison kind of comes out of the story in a way that I just feel like they're hanging around. It's like, what can we, in this one, go, what can we do next? Like, what can we do with the baby guy next? I think is the thinking behind a lot of this stuff. Okay. Um, I think there's more There's more thought put into it in the next movie, I guess is what is the distinction, um, distinction I'm making. I'd also like to reference as... My other joys in this movie: one, Tim Robbins making an appearance as the president. Yeah, it's, I it's, love that. It's, it's, and there's it's kind me, of hit and miss because there's so many great, both comic and dramatic actors. Yeah, involved in this movie and cameos. Well, and the last one I was going to mention was I just don't think there's anything better, maybe in any of these movies, than Rob Lowe as Rob number Lowe. two. And this is where my and Miles when he makes him cry pioneer. with the earth, <laughs> with the earth ball, I mean, like, well, first of all, he's doing the best Robert Wagner impersonation I have ever, ever heard. Seen. Yeah. Secondly, um, this is a like Mike Myers seemed to know that Rob Lowe was this comic genius that it took culture another about ten, fifteen years. Right, because he's in it Wayne's took World until Parks too. and Recreation. For mainstream culture to get it, but he was like Wayne's World, yeah. uh, the first Austin Powers, mm-hmm. where he plays a henchman's relative in Hooters, right. <laughs> and this. So he obviously knows that that Rob Lowe is good at comedy, and it takes years for anyone else to figure yeah. this out. Stop casting him in these in these uh, you know series pilots where he's a you know a, a tough lawyer or a tough fireman or something. Put him in a comedy, and he's great. Um, I like the Will Ferrell's back. I just I don't think that, and this is a, this is a good comparison to some of Mike Myers' other work with, uh, like in So I Married an Axe Murderer, he very deliberately puts comedians in cameo roles, and they each have a, a one moment yeah. to shine. And here you get people like Fred Willard, a lot of Christopher Guests, people, and they often don't get their moment to shine. Mm. And it makes me wonder, I mean, maybe it just ended up on the cutting room floor or whatever, right. but it's pretty hit and miss. Like who, like you have great people, but they're not allowed, not all of them are allowed to be great. Will Ferrell's not really allowed to transcend what he did in the first it's movie. It's the same joke, just over the side right. of a cliff. Um, I also like that portion of it where like his character and Robert Wagner himself both seemingly seem to be murdered, and they're just back in the next movie with no explanation. That I like. I like that a lot, yeah. Uh, same with Fat Bastard, actually. The fact that, you know, it's a total reset there, uh-huh. too. Uh, I, pre- I appreciate that, but, like, you know, as you pointed to, I also like the fact that that one of the ways in which this movie kind of is unique in that it it's like a like a Bond movie if it cared about continuity, which interestingly is what the Daniel Craig movies are. <laughs> so it's kind of prophetic. Right. Because even like in the beginning of this movie, Robert Wagner has a scar over his face. Mm-hmm. 
Like his wounds like from his the wounds, last right. movie. And I'm like, I'm like, why the fuck does this movie care so much about continuity <laughs> if it's a Bond movie parody? But the fact that it is, is like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, and in, the, I kind of, there's, there's a great moment in the, in the fembot Elizabeth Hurley exploding sequence where Austin just grabs the Swedish penis pump. And it's like a great moment of like, when, when you have to pick, when a sequel has to pick up from the right. original. It's like, how do we show you that it's like the same timeline? Yeah. And he just he just picks it up and does nothing with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I yeah I I appreciate a lot of those things. I just think some of some of the use of celebrity cameos um, is a little bit hit and miss, given the the pedigree of the people that we're you know having Fred Willard in a movie and not having him do comedy is a strange choice, <laughs> like. As a straight man, interesting. Right. Interesting choice. And maybe it is just how the movie was cut in the end, but... Uh, and I know there are different versions of, of these movies out there. But, um... Yeah, it's, uh... That, I found that a, a little odd. Now, what about this final set piece, though? Which one? The on the moon, <laughs> on the base, double Austins, all of it. Well, it goes without saying, you know, the the mini me fight, I can't watch. Okay, that's the moment where I'm like, no, I can't do it anymore. Um, not even the man with the golden gun had this many jokes about little people in, and that ends with Hervé Villachez being tied to a sail of a boat. <laughs> and this it. movie is more offensive than that. Um. Yeah, as I say, that, that you know, eerily similar to Moonraker, almost shot for mm-hmm. shots. Uh, the That's I am I your like father joke. <laughs> the the I am your father stuff, which for me doesn't work better in Toy Story two. Um, I like I like like I I I'm a man of simple tastes. I think I like the clicking. So am I. I like the clicking on and off of his voice box in Doctor Evil's suit. It's nothing yes. better than click. Ow! You shot me, you a hole. Click. Yeah. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. No, me too. And then, yeah, me too. And, and. Or even when they get on the moon, there's just that voice that says, enjoy your stay on the moon. That's good hmm. shit. Okay. And like I said, I think it's like all those little jokes add up for me. To me, for me to just barely call this a good movie. <laughs> But I think there are more. I see the problems jokes that you see in this movie detract from those. Um, but I have, I have, I have bigger story problems. Like I have bigger check marks. Like you talked about how the bad jokes in this one drop it a couple of steps. I have things that they're missing in the next movie that, to me, drop like three, four, five. Interesting. I mean, it, it it goes back to something that they're talking about on Star Wars Minute at the moment when they're doing The Last Jedi. It's like everyone can agree that there's 15% too much comedy in The Last Jedi, but no one can agree on what that 15% is. It's different for everyone. <laughs> so maybe we're in that right. kind of... That nebulous zone here. Um, which, you know, is a problem with... With comedy, because it's literally about what makes you laugh. Well, and what's funny is my expectation. I went in to this viewing experience really thinking I wasn't going to like this movie as much and that I would like Goldmember more than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. No. Well, yeah. It happened for me, but I expected the opposite. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So we coming at it literally at cross purposes. And you're here. right about like the closeness to each other, but the first scene, like the whole giant Johnson space rocket thing, the first time it comes up, I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second time it comes up, my note is, why are we doing this a second time? But mercifully, which they answer in the next yeah, movie, which but in the best possible way, <laughs> in the funniest possible way. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
that's all I really had to say about that sequence. I suppose I like that Fat Bastard comes back. I mean, obviously, return the returning henchman mm-hmm. is the is a you know a great Bond convention that Myers knows and is playing. Probably should have cut their losses with the character there, but (laughs) you know, uh, you got to Jar Jar them, got to phase them out, Jar Jar style, when it doesn't work. Apparently, to say, I mean, especially if his vanity is, as I suspected, is in this movie. And I I feel, I by the end of the movie, I felt sorry for Heather Graham. She had this look of forced enjoyment on her face that made her seem like she was acting under duress. You think so? Like it didn't look, and, and it's kind of. Yeah, it's like I agree with you that like she didn't have as much to do, but I really like Heather Graham in this movie. I don't like her in this movie. I love her elsewhere, uh-huh. and I kind of think I want to see her having fun, and I see her struggling. <laughs> That's so interesting. I th- I kind of felt like she was having fun. Hmm. Because sometimes she's laughing just for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you felt that was forced. Yeah, I did. I did. I felt. I felt like that's what you do when, when you don't. You know, when you've got a, a narcissistic co-star who's uh, <laughs> who's taking pictures of his naked self in the same scene. She seems so bemused by him to me. And it's you know I, I just again just to like bring it back to the things I like uh, things I like about Mike Myers which still make it through into this which I think is one of his weakest movies, um, like his ability to kind of move between movies that we all know and incredibly obscure movies mm-hmm. in terms of referencing. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the first movie where we get. I think we only get it in the post credit sequence in the original Austin Powers. But he does the full-on David Hemmings in blow-up, taking photographing models in the sixties. Yeah. and it's like, it's like that is such a neat. Like you know, people think of sixties movies; they don't think of blow-up unless you're particularly well versed in that. But Mike Myers is thinking about it. The Piper Regiment that Fat in fact Fat Bastard comes out of is a direct reference to the nineteen sixty-seven Casino Royale. So he's. <laughs> He's pastiching a Bond spoof, so he's working on so many levels here. They're even using, um, uh, oh, I just blanked on the Michael Caine movie that God. in the next movie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's just, um, it, it's, that really makes a difference for me that that kind of, that level of literacy. And then also looking back at these movies and, you know what's happened since in in Bond films and in films generally, um, a Madonna theme song before right. Die Another Day. Uh. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Wow, this is really like are the uh, is uh, broccoli." You know, is Barbara Broccoli watching these right. movies and taking, <laughs> taking notes? notes? So many Bond prophecies. Uh it's so. There's, you know, even even in something which I feel is not quite work is not quite working as an individual movie, you've still got the the added bonus of um, of what Mike Myers understands about comedy and what he understands about movies. Man, going. On. I don't think we solved anything. Maybe in the next. Maybe <laughs> in the next episode. Yeah, we did. We 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 solved the f- fact that we you know that the this is this is probably. This is a good movie. With we both agree, it's it's a uh, a movie that may or may not be good, with problems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I I got a pretty extensive credit check. Do you want me to? Oh, knock by this all out? means, go ahead. Hush puppies for providing custom shoes for Doctor Evil and Mini Me. Nice. Is that a joke? I don't know. Or a genuine piece of advertising? I think it might be genuine. I think it might be genuine too. <laughs> Why is Rob Cohen thanked in the credits? <laughs> I saw that. I noticed that as well. In other words, what aspect of this movie did Rob Cohen ruin? <laughs> uh, sc- 
Gary Spice's cover of Cameo's Word Up gets shunted to the back of the credits, as we all know it deserves. All right. Um, yeah, and I, I, I added that, you know, like, why they didn't... That even the post-credits comedy of this movie doesn't quite work in terms of flow. Because <laughs> they don't say... The, 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 I don't know if they're worried that people would have left already. But See, that's how I Jerry, feel about the next movie. But Jerry's final... No, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't talk crazy. Jerry's final thought should be the last thing in the movie. But instead we get a series of, like, substandard gags taking us out to the end of the movie. Uh, which, again, involves Mike Myers coming on to himself. Um, I'm also interested, like, they needed to get licensing for every single part of every single song they use. Is this not covered under parody? Am I the only one who's thinking? <laughs> Am I? No, they, I'm not they, even I'm a sure lawyer. They had to pay for every last piece of music that they used. But it must be covered under parody. No, I think you'd have to like. I think in order for that to count, don't you have to like Weird Al Yankovic? <laughs> I, I like the first uh, attempt at that <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> you gotta weird, weird Al Yankovic out of there. <laughs> Pull it out. <laughs> the band-aid right off. So yeah, that's my that's my credit check. All right. But I really I really appreciate your defense of this movie and it's very compelling. Um maybe we're just coming at it at two different angles. I feel like I have to watch these two movies again. I definitely have to watch Goldmember again to see if it recedes. Okay. That's interesting because I think I was maybe put off. <laughs> I think I was maybe put off by how good it was in comparison to how close it was in chronology to the Love Guru. <laughs> I didn't think the movie that was closer to the Love Guru would be as good as it was. Gotcha. You know what I yeah, mean? No, I do. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you tell us what you think. How do you feel about Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me? Let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. If you're listening to this, please be sure to rate and review us if you can. Help us out. We want to climb charts. All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions... I am Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. When you hear us next, we will be talking about Austin Powers in Goldmember. Say goodbye, Tom. He is the snake to my mongoose, or the mongoose to my snake. Either way, it's bad. I don't know animals. <laughs> I love Dr. Evil. That's <laughs> really, another really good line. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Coming at you with a new Austin Powers episode soon. So long.